Chatters. I'm Nat. And I'm Kat. And welcome to the Crime Chat. I am your forensic femme fatale and Natalie is your true crime addict connoisseur. We're just two girls who obsess about dark crimes, evil minds, and occasionally the unknown. And haven't stopped since last week. Yep. Well, actually, we haven't stopped. Can't stop, won't stop. Won't stop. <laughs> we are recording both part one and part two in the same day. <laughs> yeah, and you travel. I mean, you've been traveling, girl. You went from Alaska to now you're in Florida. I'm somewhere with palm trees in my video <laughs> background. <laughs> I'm playing with all the virtual backgrounds. So okay. <laughs> here's your disclaimer, chatters. The following crime chat contains adult content and descriptions of potentially violent scenarios. Your listener discretion is advised. Yes, and today is part two of Cat's Story lee harvey oswald yes yes we're gonna go ahead and just like dive right in okay are you ready Mm -hmm. okay so last week we talked about a lot of the history leading up to lee harvey oswald his favoritism towards communism and we're gonna continue kind of on that same theme he married a soviet citizen they have a daughter and another one on the way. Uh-huh. And uh, he did an assassination attempt on General Walker, who is an anti-communist, white supremacist, forced to retire U.S. Army general. Basically, like his, he didn't, his beliefs, he was very outspoken. His beliefs did not align with the government line, essentially, uh-huh. if you will. So he was forced to retire. And that's where we left off last time was the Lee Harvey Oswald's assassination attempt on General Walker. Yes, a lot of background. So if you haven't heard that one yet, I would stop this one and go straight to that one first because there's a lot of background on who Lee Harvey Oswald was. I did not know all that stuff. Yeah, there's a lot in there. And I'm still, obviously, still kind of nasally and fighting a flu. I've got some tea I made. And uh, I'm going to be sipping on some tea as we get into this. (laughs) All right. So we ended in in March 1962. That's when, well, in April, actually, 1962. That's when the assassination attempt was on General Walker. So later in April of 1963, Marina's friend Ruth, Ruth was somebody studying Russian in America, became very close with Marina, LHO's wife. And Marina's friend Ruth was visiting Marina and was surprised to see Lee Harvey Oswald, I also refer to to him as LHO packing his bags. He told her he was in, a, unable to find work in Dallas and decided to move back to Nolens, which is where he was born. He had family still there. He was able to stay with an aunt, and while in New Orleans, he called all of the Oswalds in the phone book. Remember the phone book yeah. and pay phones? Yeah. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he found the widow of his father's brother, so his uncle's widow, who gave him a picture of his father, Robert Sr., and told LHO that as far as she knew, the rest of the family was dead. So he had, like, no other relatives or anything like that. On April 26, 1963, LHO began his search for employment in the New Orleans area. He went to the employment office in the Louisiana Department of Labor and stated he was qualified as a commercial photographer, shipping clerk, and a darkroom man. Like, remember when actual pictures when they put them in the dark room and put them in the water none of this digital stuff yet the interviewer noted on oswald's application card quote will travel on limited basis will relocate minimum a dollar 25 an hour neat suit tie polite end quote lho wrote to marina while he was in new orleans and she was back in texas staying with ruth all is well i'm living with aunt lillian she has very kindly taken us in and i'm now looking for work when i find it i will write you and on may 3rd he wrote to marina and ruth Payne, marina's friend ruth Mm. 
Girls, I have not found work, but I received money from the unemployment office in the amount of $15 to $20. They were mistaken in the Dallas office when they refused, but I straightened everything out. Uncle Diaz offered me a loan of $200 if needed. Great, huh? End quote. <laughs> and on May 9th, responding to a newspaper advertisement, LHO completed an application for employment with the William B. Riley Company, Incorporated, an enterprise engaged in the roasting, grinding, canning, bagging, and sale of coffee. In late May and early June, Oswald had apparently begun to formulate plans creating a new Orleans branch of the Fair Play for Cuba committee. And again, he's very sympathetic to Communist Party. Using the name Lee Osborne, he ordered a number of printed circulars demanding quote-unquote hands-off Cuba in large letters and application forms and membership cards for the proposed chapter. During the same period, LHO began to reconsider returning to the Soviet Union or moving to Cuba. On June 24th, he applied for a new passport, which he received the following day. I don't know how back then you could get a passport like that. Like, you know, what I mean? it, takes like, it takes like three months to get a passport now. I got mine in a week. Oh, wow, you did? Yeah. But now, had it expired? Uh, Ten years. No, I mean, the, oh. when I first got it, when I was 20-something, I got it, and it was like a week. Oh, wow. It was quick, that before, pre-9-11, it was pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. At LHO's request, Marina wrote to the Russian embassy in Washington, D.C., expressing a desire to return to Russia and indicating that she would be accompanied by her husband, Lee Harvey Oswald. She explained that she wanted to return because of family problems, including the impending birth of her second child. Accompanying her letter was a letter written by LHO dated July 1st, in which he asked the embassy to rush an entrance visa for his wife and requested that his visa be considered separately. Marina believed that LHO was really planning to go only to Cuba. She testified that, quote, his basic desire was to get to Cuba by any means and that all the rest of it was window dressing for that purpose, end quote. On July 6th, LHO's cousin, Eugene Murrett, who was studying to be a Jesuit priest in Mobile, Alabama, wrote and asked Oswald if he would come to Mobile and speak at the Jesuit House of Studies about, quote, contemporary Russia and the practice of communism there, end quote. On July 19th, Oswald was let go by the coffee company because of insufficiency and inattention to his work. He spent many of his work hours next door at the Crescent City Garage where he read gun magazines and discussed guns with one of the owners, Adrian Alba. On July 22nd, Oswald again visited the Louisiana Employment Office to seek new employment and file a claim for unemployment compensation. Thereafter, he collected unemployment compensation weekly and, although apparently making some effort to obtain another job, again listed a number of fictitious job applications on his employment compensation claim form. So basically, he lied saying, I applied for this these many jobs and I haven't been hired, so he continued to get unemployment. He soon gave up his search for employment and began to spend his days at home reading. He received another setback on July 25th when he was notified that in response to the request for review which he was made in 1962 his undesirable discharge from the marine corps had been upheld so he was requesting to have it changed and they said uh-uh, nope Oswald did end up accepting his cousin's invitation to go to Mobile, Alabama and speak at the Jesuit House of Studies. And on July 27th, he and his family, joined by some of the Murats, some of his other, like, distant cousin families, and they traveled to Mobile, and the Murats paid for all the expenses. LHO spoke concerning his observations in Russia and conducted a question-and-answer period. He impressed his listeners as being articulate, which is interesting. He indicated that he had become disillusioned during his stay in Russia. It is, in his opinion, the best political system would be one combining the best points of capitalism and the best points of communism. He also left his listeners with the impression that he was an atheist, since he avoided direct discussion of religion. The group, including the Oswalds and the Murats, returned to New Orleans on July 28th. 
The next week, August 5th, LHO visited a store managed by Carlos Bringuar, a Cuban refugee, an avid opponent of Castro, and the New Orleans delegate of the Cuban Student Directorate. LHO indicated an interest in joining the struggle against Castro, and he told Bringuar that he had been a Marine and was trained in guerrilla warfare, and he was willing to not only train Cubans to fight Castro, but also join the fight himself, which is interesting because he was pro-communism. Right. Well, for, you know, sort of, like, mm-hmm. like I said, somewhere kind of in the middle. A couple days later, on August 9th, Bringuer saw LHO passing out the Fair Play for Cuba leaflets that he had created in the month prior. And as a result, LHO and the three Cuban exiles who were helping him were arrested for disturbing the peace. Because he's basically like, so on one hand, he's telling Bringuer, you know, I'll fight against Castro, but he's passing out these leaflets saying, leave Cuba alone. Right. So he's, he's contradicting himself. Right. So as a result, LHO and the three Cuban exiles were arrested for disturbing the peace. He spent the night in jail and was interviewed the next day by a lieutenant of the New Orleans Police Department. And at LHO's request, an FBI agent also interviewed him, which is interesting because he was not happy the FBI was so interested in him. Uh LHO maintained that he was a member of the New Orleans branch for the Fair Play for Cuba committee, which he claimed had 35 members. He stated he also had been in touch with the president of that organization, A.J. Heidel. Does that sound familiar? Heidel? Alec, he used that name to purchase the pistol and the rifle. Mm -hmm. Yep. So he was saying that the president of this organization, this Alec Heidel, he had been in touch with him. But Alec Heidel was LHO. (laughs) So in fact, LHO was the only member of this New Orleans branch. (laughs) He had never been chartered by the National Fair Play for Cuba Committee. And later that day, LHO was released on bail. Two days later, he pled guilt to the charges and paid a $10 fine for disturbing the peace. The charges against the Cuban exiles were dismissed, and Marina testified later, after his passing, that the arrest upset LHO and that he became less active in, like, the pro-Cuban community and, quote-unquote, cooled off for a little bit. So August 16th, like, all of these dates, July, August, September that we're getting into, Mm -hmm. is getting up into November of 1963, which is why I'm putting all the dates in here. Mm -hmm. So on August 16th, LHO was assisted by at least one other person who was a hired help and again began to pass out these fair play for Cuba literature this time in front of the international trademark that night television newcast ran picture of oswald's activities on the local television network mm-hmm. which hindered his subsequent attempts to gain employment so he says he didn't really try to gain work he was just trying yeah. to yeah. scam mm-hmm. and get unemployment so William Stuckey, a radio broadcaster with a program called Latin Listening Post, learned about LHO from Bringuar, the Cuban exile or the Cuban refugee who owned the shop, and subsequently visited LHO on August 17th. Stuckey recorded an interview with LHO, which was cut to about five minutes and played back on the show that evening on the radio. Two days later, Stuckey asked the news director of the station if he could run the entire tape, but the director felt the debate with a local opponent of Castro would be greater public interest. So, like, the producer or whatever was trying to kind of get both sides of the story. Consequently, Stuckey arranged for a debate between LHO and Bringer, this Cuban refugee. Okay. On a 25-minute daily public affairs program called Conversation Carte Blanche, which took place on August 21st. So, I mean, he's putting himself out there. Yeah. LHO defended the Castro regime, <laughs> even though he told Bringer when he first met him, I'll fight against Castro. Mm-hmm. He's defend- now defending the Castro regime and discussed Marxism. Mm-hmm. He was put on the defensive when his defection to Russia was brought up, and Stuckey later testified that he thought the airing of his program had finished the Fair Play for Cuba Committee in New Orleans, basically that it was never, it was not going to be anymore. However, Stuckey also testified that Oswald seemed to be a clean-cut and intelligent person who conducted himself very well during the interviews and debates. 
Sometime in August 1963, Marina Oswald testified later that LHO told her of his plans to go to Mexico and then from Mexico to Cuba, where he planned to stay. He would like was wanting to now defect to Cuba, which Marina consistently opposed against him. Like, don't do that. On September 17th, he obtained from the Mexican consulate general in New Orleans a tourist card, which was good for one journey to Mexico, no longer than 15 days, which was like a temporary visa, kind of. And on the application, LHO stated he was employed at 640 Rampart. He was, in fact, of course, unemployed at this time. Marina and June, their daughter, departed with her friend Ruth for Irving, Texas on the morning of September 23rd, 1960. 1963. Before she left, LHO told Marina that she should not tell anyone about his pending trip to Mexico. Marina kept this secret until after the assassination. Okay. Like his true intentions of why he was going to Mexico. Oh, okay. We're actually going to get into those details here in a second. While Ruth's car was being packed, their landlady asked if they were moving or if they were leaving because their rent was 15 days late. LHO said that Marina was leaving, but he was staying. On September 24th, however, LHO left for Mexico, and then the landlady found an empty apartment September 25th. Oh, my God. <laughs> After a 20-hour bus ride, LHO registered at Hotel de Comercio within an hour of his arrival to Mexico City. He stayed there throughout his visit. Now, after he had registered at the hotel, he promptly turned into the task of trying to gain permission to enter Cuba from Mexico. Oh. Mexican officials would not permit a U.S. citizen without a Cuban visa to board a plane for Cuba. He visited the Cuban embassy on September 27th in Mexico City mm -hmm. and spoke with a Senora Silvia Tiradado de Duran, a Mexican citizen employed there. Senor Duran later made a signed statement to the Mexican police that Lee Harvey Oswald, quote, applied for a, a visa to Cuba to transit to Russia and based his application on his presentation of his passport in which it was recorded that he had been living in the latter country for a period of three years, saying that he had been living in Mexico for three years, which was not true. His work permit from the same country written in the same language, as well as proof of being married to a woman of Russian nationality, being a parent director in the city of New Orleans of the organization for the quote-unquote fair play of Cuba, with the desire that he should be accepted as a friend of the Cuban Revolution, end quote. Now, again, she's a Mexican citizen working for the Cuban embassy in Mexico City. Uh -huh. So LHO apparently stated he was a member of the Communist Party and displayed documents which he claimed to be evidence of his membership. He said he intended to go to Cuba on September 30th and remain there for two weeks or longer if possible and then go on to Russia. And again, he's trying to defect again, yeah. right? Senora Duran took down the relevant date and filled out the appropriate application. LHO then visited the Soviet embassy in Mexico City to obtain a Soviet visa, but it was denied. So he's like trying to skirt the system in any which way that he possibly can to ultimately get back to Russia. He also has two children he's running from. What the hell? His, his second daughter isn't born just yet. She's actually born right before the assassination. Oh, my God. So after being turned away from the Soviet embassy, he returned to the Cuban embassy, now still in Mexico City, later that afternoon. And this time he brought passport photographs, which may have been obtained in the United States. Senora Duran telephoned then the Soviet embassy and was like, hey, you know this LHO guy? Are you going to give him a visa? And was told that there would be delay for about four months. Mm. It was going to take some time. 
LHO became, quote, highly agitated and angry, end quote, particularly when he learned he could not obtain an in-transit visa to Cuba before acquiring a Russian visa. So basically, Senor Duran at the Cuban embassy in Mexico City said, we're not going to give you a Cuban visa to transit through Cuba to get to Russia until your Russia visa is approved. Mm -hmm. And they just said it was going to take four months. Okay. So he gets all pissed off. Senor Duran called the Cuban consul, Esquibo Esquize, I don't know how to say that, pardon my Espanol. <laughs> the discussion between Oswald and Ezekiel developed into a heated argument, which of course gets everybody anything that they want, right? <laughs> and it ended when Ezekiel told LHO that in his opinion, people like LHO who were harming the Cuban revolution and that as far as Ezekiel was concerned, he would never give LHO a visa. Senior Duran wrote her name and the phone number on of the embassy on a piece of paper which she gave to Oswald in case he wished to contact her again. He copied this information in his address book, which again can be found on the National Archives. Senior Duran forwarded the Cuban visa application to Havana. In Cuba, the Cuban Ministry of Foreign Affairs replied on October 15th that the visa could only be issued after he obtained a Russian visa. Again, mm -hmm. like they were steadfast. They didn't change at all. Okay. He contacted the Russian and Cuba embassies again during his stay in Mexico. Now, he was there for two weeks, remember. He had no greater success than he had before. So on Monday, September 30th, Oswald began to prepare for his return to the United States. Marina testified that when he returned to Texas, he was convinced that his trip had been a failure and disappointed in having been unable to go to Cuba. However, LHO did not contact his wife immediately when he went back to Dallas. Like, she's staying in Irving, Texas with her friend Ruth, right? He's... So he gets back to Dallas. Yeah. He went automatically went to the Employment Commission, filed for unemployment, <laughs> and announced that um, he was again looking for work. He spent the night at the YMCA where he registered as a serviceman in order to avoid paying a membership fee. Mm -hmm. On the following day, he applied for a job as a typesetter trainee in the Paget Printing Company, made a favorable impression on the department, but the plant superintendent who called Jagger's Chili Stovall Company that he worked for as a photo advertising person, they called, of course, as reference and decided not to hire him because of unfavorable responses. Don't be a shitbag. Yeah. <laughs> so he hitched hiked from Dallas to Irving to visit with Marina in June, but would return to Dallas to continue to looking for work while Marina stayed with Ruth and Ruth's children. Ruth testified that LHO was extremely discouraged because his wife was expecting a baby. He had no job, no prospects in sight, no longer had any source of income, which I mean, just in general, that would be extremely discouraging, right? Mm -hmm. So Ruth helped him in gaining employment at the Texas School Book Depository in wow. Dallas, Texas. <laughs> where he would fill book orders, school book orders. Mm. October 20th, 1963, it was a Sunday. He stayed with the Payne children, Ruth's children, and his daughter while Ruth drove Marina to go give birth to their baby, their second baby. <laughs> I mean, it was the 60s, but still. It's not shocking. I mean, it's, for this guy, it's not shocking at all. I mean, I get it's, it's disappointing that he had a baby on the way and he had no source of income, but... The man was super resourceful, so he was just not willing to um, adhere to rules, yeah, social, yeah. you know, what, what's acceptable, so, yeah. So, second daughter, Rachel, was born Audrey Marina Rachel Oswald, October 20th, 1963. LHO went to work on, on that next Monday to the Texas School Book Repository, mm -hmm. but that evening visited Marina in the hospital, spent the night in Irving that Monday night, and Marina wrote, quote, Monday evening, Lee visited me in the hospital. He was very happy at the birth of another daughter and even wept a little. He said that two daughters were better for each other, two sisters. He stayed with me for about two hours, end quote. 
So that Tuesday morning, he returned to Dallas, and on the evening of October 23rd, he attended an ultra-right meeting headed by no other than General Edwin Walker. Full circle. Like, why would you attempt to kill this person and then, you know, six months later... Yeah. attend a meeting where he's speaking right. i don't know I this guy is like i tried to kill you but i didn't mean it i'm sorry i'm sorry two evenings after this he accompanied michael Payne, ruth's ex-husband at a meeting for the american civil civil liberties union held at a southern methodist university later in the evening oswald became involved in a discussion with several people including frank Christnick, who was employed with michael Payne at the bell helicopter plant during this conversation oswald expressed marxist views again and declared that he was a marxist although denying that he was a communist. He admitted that the United States was superior to the Soviet Union in the area of civil liberties, of course, because Soviet Union is a suppressed society. Right. And he actually praised President Kennedy for his work in that connection. Now, this is a month out before the man killed him. I don't believe a thing he says anymore. And that's why I'm getting so, I'm giving such a background to this, yeah. because he's all over the fucking place. Right. Now, Frank Krisnick, the man that he had a conversation with, testified later that he got the impression that Lee Harvey Oswald did not fully understand the views that he's, he was expounding. He was just, bleh, you know, yeah. like spitting shit out, whatever Word sounded good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So through this period, the FBI had been aware of his whereabouts of the Oswalds. There was a record in the Dallas office of the FBI that Lee Harvey Oswald subscribed to The Worker, engaged in Fair Play for Cuba Committee activities, and had traveled to Mexico. So they followed him. They knew he had gone to Mexico. Mm. An FBI agent visited the Payne home twice in November of 1963 and spoke briefly with Ruth. Okay. LHO was not present on either one of these occasions. So she would, of course, would say, hey, FBI agent came and wanted to talk to you. And LHO declared that the FBI was trying to inhibit his activities, and he wrote to the Soviet embassy in Washington, D.C. And I'm going to read this verbatim, and I'll put this on here because this is just an example of his literary abilities. The Federal Bureau, Bureau is misspelled, of investigation is not now interested in activities in the progressive organization Fair Play for Cuba Committee, of which I was secretary in New Orleans, state Louisiana, since I no longer reside in that state. However, the FBI has visited, misspelled, us here in Dallas on November 1st agent James P. Hasty warned me that if I engage in FPCC Fair Play for Cuba Committee activities in Texas the FBI will again take an interest in me. This agent also suggested to Marina Nakchikovea I don't know where that name came from, that she could remain in the United States under FBI protection. That is, she could defect from the United States, of course, no R, in course. I and my wife strongly protested these tactics by the notorious FBI. Please inform us of our arrival of Soviet entrance visas soon as they come, end quote. Now, Marina testified that the statements, both by and to the FBI agents, to which her husband referred to in this letter, were in fact never made. They was completely made up. I don't know if it was a way for him to kind of, like, expedite these visas or, you know, like, I don't understand his motive behind that. Like, you, don't you think they're going to fact check that? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean. <laughs> I don't know. He's one of those people that, you know, it's hard to fact check him because he's always lying. Yeah. So over Veterans Day holiday weekend, LHO stayed with his family in Ruth's home in Irving, Texas. And Ruth actually taught him how to drive. Now, this man is, like, in his, like, 30s and he doesn't know how to drive. He wanted to return the following weekend, but Marina told LHO she didn't want to abuse Ruth's hospitality since he was just there for the holiday weekend, like he was there for the long weekend. So on November 17th, Marina asked Ruth to call her husband at the home where he said he was renting a room in Dallas. When she called and asked 
for Lee Harvey Oswald, she was told nobody by the name lived there. The following day, uh, he called, LHO called Marina and said that she was upset by what Ruth told her because Ruth said she tried to call you and there was nobody by that name there. He was like, I'm using a fictitious name and you should not have called me. Oh my God. It was probably that Alex, Alec Heidel name. Probably. I don't know. I couldn't find that or I didn't, I wasn't able to locate it. So on the morning of November 21st, the day before the Kennedy assassination, Lee Harvey Oswald asked a co-worker, Wesley Frazier, to take him to Irving and that he wanted to pick up curtain rods. Have you heard of the curtain rod thing? I'm not sure. Okay. LHO's arrival was a surprise as he normally asked permission before going to visit. I mean, understandably so, right? The hospitality. So both Marina and Ruth thought LHO felt bad about the fictitious name and then the argument that ensued after. He said that he was lonely and wanted to come make his peace. This weekend, LHO asked Marina to move to Dallas with him, but she refused. Days before the president's arrival to Dallas, several local newspapers published the route Kennedy would take, Mm. which would include passing by the Texas School Book Depository. On the day of the assassination, November 22nd, 1963, Lee Harvey Oswald and Wesley, his friend that he worked with, returned to Dallas from Irving, Texas. LHO left his wedding ring but took a large paper bag with him. Wesley testified that LHO told him in the paper bag contained curtain rods. However, it was the rifle that he would use to assassinate the president. Oh. So he's like, hey, Wesley, can you take me to Irving? I want to go see my family and I need to buy curtain rods. Curtain rods, like a like a code name for gun? No, it was, it was, just, a, it was just a story. Oh, okay. It was just a lie because he was actually going back to the house to get the rifle. Got it. Another one of LHO's co-workers, Charles Givens, testified the last time he saw LHO was on the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Repository at approximately 11.15 a.m., just 35 minutes before the motorcade entered the Dealey Plaza. The investigation would state that LHO was not seen again until 20 minutes after the assassination, reading a newspaper on the first floor of the Texas School Book Depository. Several co-workers accounted for LHO's whereabouts on the first floor following the assassination. However, one co-worker, Bonnie Ray Williams, said he was eating his lunch on the sixth floor and did not see anyone there, including LHO. One of the secretaries of the Texas School Book Depository testified she saw a man, believed to be LHO, standing on the first floor hallway just prior to the assassination. So there's a lot of different type of witnesses saying he was there, he wasn't there. As Kennedy's motorcade passed through Dealey Plaza at approximately 12.30 p.m. on November 22, 1963, LHO fired three rifle shots from the southeast corner window on the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository, killing the president, seriously wounding Texas Governor John Conley. One shot apparently missed the presidential limousine entirely. Another struck Kennedy and Conley, and a third bullet struck Kennedy in the head, killing him. Bystander James Tagg received a minor facial injury from a small piece of curbstone that had fragmented after it was struck by one of the bullets. The paper bag Wesley Frazier had described was found by police near the open six-floor window from which LHO was determined to have fired. It was 38 inches long, had marks on the inside consistent with having been used to carry a rifle. The Malignor Correcno rifle and three shell casings were also found near the window on the sixth floor. So they found the shell casings. According to the investigations, after the shooting, LHO covered the rifle with boxes and descended via the rear stairwell. About 90 seconds after the shot sounded, he was encountered in the second floor lunchroom by Dallas police officer Marion Baker, who was with LHO's supervisor. Roy Truly. Baker let LHO pass after Truly identified him as an employee. Baker said LHO did not seem nervous or out of breath. Roy Truly, the supervisor, said that LHO looked startled when Baker pointed his gun directly at him. So, like, the shots fired, the supervisor and this police officer are in the building. Right. Apparently startled Lee Harvey Oswald. 
At about 12.40 p.m., LHO boarded a city bus, and likely due to heavy traffic, he requested a transfer from the driver and got off two blocks later. LHO then took a taxi cab to his rooming house on 1026 North Beckley Avenue, entered in through the front door about 1 p.m., but he did not stay put. Now, he might have gotten away with it if he would just stayed in the house. But a roommate would testify that LHO left every few minutes and finally saw LHO standing outside at a bus stop, this time wearing a zipped-up jacket. So he was like, he walked out of the house, walked back in the house, walked out of the house, walked been in the house but the final time he was he put a coat on mm-hmm. and he went out to the bus stop about 15 minutes later dallas patrolman jd Tippett pulled up to lho in his patrol car presumably because of the physical description that was broadcasted from a witness who saw the shots being fired at kennedy in his motorcade after a brief exchange of words, Tippett exited his car and LHO immediately fired his pistol four times, killing Tippett. At approximately 1.40 wow. p.m., yeah, a witness saw a man slipping into the Texas theater without paying, who alerted the ticket clerk and then called police. Police responded and approached LHO, who seemed ready to turn himself in, saying, quote, well, it's all over now, end quote. As LHO stood up, he pulled the pistol out of his front pants and pulled the trigger. However, the pistol did not fire because LHO's hand was stuck between the hammer and the firing pin. (laughs) So if you think of a revolver, you know, the firing. After a brief altercation, LHO was apprehended while shouting he was a victim of police brutality. Now we've got his mug shots too that I'm going to put on the Patreon. Mm -hmm. It shows him beat up a little bit. LHO was interrogated several times in the two days following the assassination. He admitted to going home, changing his clothes several times after the assassination, and adamantly denied killing Kennedy or Tippett, denied owning a rifle, denied knowing any A.J. Heidel, even though police showed him a copy of his selective service card that said the name Alec James Heidel. Mm-hmm. And I've got copies of those as well. Okay. During another interrogation, LHO was asked, are you a communist? He replied, no, I am not a communist. I'm a Marxist. During his last interrogation, November 24th, 1963, according to a postal inspector, Harry Holmes, LHO was again asked where he was at the time of the shooting. Holmes testified that LHO replied he was working on an upper floor when the shooting occurred, then went downstairs where he encountered Dallas Motorcycle Patrolman Baker with his supervisor. On the same day, detectives were escorting LHO through the basement of the Dallas Police Headquarters toward an armored car that was to take him from the city jail. At 1121 a.m., Dallas nightclub operator Jack Ruby approached LHO from the side of the crowd and shot him in the abdomen at close range. I've got pictures of they because there's there's media out there, mm-hmm. so there's actual pictures of Jack Ruby shooting Lee Harvey Oswald. Really, and I'm gonna put those on there too. Okay. As the shot rang out, the police detective recognized Ruby and exclaimed, Jack, you son of a bitch! The crowd outside the headquarters applauded when they heard that Lee Harvey Oswald was shot. Unconscious, Lee Harvey Oswald was taken by ambulance to Parkland Memorial Hospital, the same hospital where Kennedy was pronounced dead two days earlier. LHO died at 1.07 p.m. and at 2.45 p.m. an autopsy was performed. That was like this. Yeah. That's very fast. Mm -hmm. Dallas County Medical Examiner Earl Rose announced the results of the gross autopsy, saying, quote, The two things that we could determine were, first, that he died from a hemorrhage from a gunshot wound and that otherwise was physically healthy, was a physically healthy male. Rose's examination found that the bullet entered Oswald's left side from the front part of the abdomen, caused damage to his spleen, stomach, aorta, vena cava, kidney, liver, diaphragm, and 11th rib before coming to rest on his right side. That sounds painful. I wouldn't want to get shot in the belly. No. All those organs and stuff yeah, around there. that's painful. Ugh. The funeral home had great difficulty finding a cemetery willing to accept Oswald's remains. And eventually, Reverend Lewis Saunders of the Fourth Fort Worth Council of Churches volunteered saying that, quote, someone had to help this family, end quote. They couldn't just get him cremated? 
send them home with them. I don't know that they did that, and I don't know that his mother or his brother wanted his remains. Mm. I mean, would you? No. If your brother assassinated the president? No. (laughs) No. He performed a brief graveside service under heavy guard on November 25th, which was the next day, Mm. which, like, this was, like, fast. Yeah. Reporters covering the burial were asked to act as pallbearers because there was nobody that went, of course. So in 1979, fast forward 16 years, the Investigation Review Board prepared an issue to issue a statement saying that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. However, a recording was produced where you could hear before, during, and after the shooting. Analysis of this indicated more than three gunshots, and there were a high probability of at least two gunmen. As of 1982, the acoustic evidence, however, has been discredited, saying that the evidence was seriously flawed. In a Science and Justice article, the author D.B. Thomas wrote the entire investigation itself was flawed. He concluded with 96.3% certainty, which is very specific, Mm -hmm. that at least two gunmen fired at Kennedy's motorcade and at least one came from the grassy knoll. Mm. In 2005, fast forward again, like 30 years, Thomas's conclusions were rebutted in the same journal. Ralph Linsker and several members of the National Academy of Sciences reanalyzed the audio and the timings of the recordings reaffirmed the earlier conclusion from 1982. However, D.B. Thomas, who wrote the original article saying that it was flawed, rebutted that same year and restated that his conclusion that there were at least two gunmen. So kind of getting into the JFK, like early 90s, now early 2000s, right? Right. Some critics have proposed several other theories, not just the conspiracy theory with LHO and a second gunman, but also witnesses' intimidation, evidence tampering, fabrication of evidence and information, and questioning of the actual timeline of events. Of course, there's the Tin Man or Badge Man on the grassy knoll, Mm -hmm. who appeared to be wearing a police uniform, but was determined it was somebody impersonating a police officer, this person on the grassy knoll. Then there's the Umbrella Man theory, who was a man who was holding an open umbrella as the motorcade went by, even though it wasn't raining. The conspiracy proposed that the umbrella was a weapon, like in spy movies, like... Or that it was a signal for a hidden gunman. The Umbrella Man ended up coming forward and said that he brought the umbrella as a way to protest Kennedy's policies. It was just like a a non-threatening way to protest, I guess. And was likely the epitome of being at the wrong place at the wrong time. Right. I mentioned a Gallup poll in 2001, right? A later Gallup poll taken in mid-November 2013 showed 61% believed Kennedy was killed as a result of a conspiracy. And only 30% people think Oswald acted alone. What do you think, Chatters? I believe the grassy knoll. Do you really? Yeah, I do. I, I think there were people in position to hit to sure. make sure that he that he was dead. But there were there were no other casings that were found anywhere. I don't believe the th- the, th- you know, the three casings were found on the sixth floor. That, that could have been state. I don't know. Like, I just don't. I think that we're talking about the death of a president. I think it's suspicious of how fast that man went from death to in the ground. I think it's suspicious. Oh, yeah. Of, there's so many things here. Like, I just think the whole, but yet Kennedy's body was in the, the autopsy room for longer than that. So mm-hmm. there, there's a problem here. And I think that we're never going to find out because the most powerful oh, no. people in the world are not allowing us to find out. It is what it is. It is what it is. So I didn't get into it because I, I had already gotten so much information. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the, there was a couple of different federal investigations, and they all came to the same conclusion. There was a lot of rebuttals to those investigations. And most of that, of the reports and all the testimony from the wife, the mom, the brother, co-workers, Ruth, like all of the testimonies and stuff, you can, it's scripted. Mm-hmm. You can re- go in and read everything, and you can come to your own conclusion. Yeah. 
Yeah. Will we actually ever know the absolute truth? No. No, we won't. But we want to know what you think, Chatters. Did Lee Harvey Oswald work alone? <laughs> or was it the man on the grassy knoll? Was it the umbrella man? Umbrella. And there's other theories and stuff out there, too. Was it a mob hit? God, yeah. There's so many plausible theories. It, there is, yeah. It's just... There is, absolutely. I mean, and when you think about it, too... When we talked about Marilyn and her mm-hmm. ties to favoring communism in Mexico when she went down to Mexico right. and what happened to her and the conspiracy surrounding that. And then you've got, I don't know, it seems like very, very related. I don't know if there's if there's ever been like a tie in Robert Kennedy, that bastard. <laughs> He's behind it all. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, my God. Well. But that was a lot of things you probably did not know about Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah. No, I never came. You know, I never came at the story through Lee Harvey Oswald. I always went to JFK. Of course. Yeah. yeah. I've I mean, a lot that I did not. And there's all kinds of stuff out there on JFK. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and even in, and we talked a bit about conspiracies, but I, I really, for this one, I did not plan on doing two parts. Right. But there was so much and there was a lot that I did not include. Right. I will. I mean, I did the best I could, but I it took forever to go through the documents that I did go through. But there's 11,406 documents out Why, there. Well, OK, we'll give you another week, Kat. Okay. <laughs> give Kat another week, chatters. Let her get through the documents. I might lose my I might lose my voice by then <laughs> so that's a good idea chatters why don't you guys we'll do a poll of what which is your favorite conspiracy or if there's a conspiracy we don't know there's something that we don't know that we should look into let us know yeah 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 for sure yes. and because we don't want to leave you hanging for more information on this case please check out after that crime chats and as i mentioned all of the pictures are going to be up there. The, a lot of the ones that I found. And there's a picture of him standing at the 214 Neely Street house uh-huh. that they rented. The one that Marina said she liked because of the porch for June mm-hmm. to go outside on the porch. Where he's standing with a piece of paper and a rifle. Like it shows him basically like this is my fictitious document and this is my rifle standing up in front of my house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's all kinds of stuff. There's pictures of Jack Ruby. There's pictures of Jack Ruby killing Lee Harvey Oswald. Lee Harvey Oswald's autopsy. Of course, the infamous Dealey Plaza uh, avenues from the Texas School Book Depository shooting, like, going down mm-hmm. the point of view where he would have been looking. Yeah. Just that whole area. And you'll see pictures of the Umbrella Man. <laughs> as well so don't forget to follow us as well chatters crime chat with that cat facebook instagram youtube twitter tiktok to see what we have coming up next and it's natalie's turn yes yes it is my turn next time it's gonna be fun not gonna tell you no hints no hints so remember uh crime chat with nat and cat subscribe to our patreon you'll get bonus episodes and behind the Mm -hmm. scene bloopers and take a look at the merch also, don't forget Man Love Cosmetics. Order our Crime Chat Crime Cosmetics palette while supplies last. Get yes, yours. while supplies last. Killer yes. eyeshadow palette. Season one. Yes. You don't want to miss it, chatters. You don't want to miss the next episode. And we will see you on the next Crime Chat. Bye.